Well, this is the 64th and final sermon in our series on the Gospel of John. That's if I counted correctly, looking at my little window on my computer trying to count files. Um, It's taken just just over two years. There were some breaks along the way. Um, It's it's always interesting, particularly with a long series like this, just think how much has changed since we began. I I just think of things that are different now in our church, things that have happened over the last two years, and you could think personally. And it's, it's just interesting to think, you know, it seems compressed to me. Honestly, it doesn't seem that long, but then you think, What's, what's different now? It's a strange and, and uh, bittersweet thing to finish preaching through a book of the Bible. Pastor Dow could really speak to this, and, and he's done this for many years. This is my 13th experience of this sensation while being at Baraka to finish a book of the Bible, preaching through it, verse by verse. I only have 53 to go, so <laughs> just hang on. Um, on one hand, I'm always, I'm always eager for the next book because I'm anticipating what's coming and starting to get ready. And, and such is the case here. We're going to just turn the page or look across the page in my Bible and, and we'll be in Acts chapters 1 and 2, just a short series this fall, in Acts 1 and 2, just to see the story go on. Uh, the works that Jesus has done, that John has recorded, he continues to do in the book of Acts. And, and so we're going to see... Uh, the fulfillment of so many promises that Jesus made, the Spirit would come and the church would be established. And, and we're going to see Peter's usefulness as he's been restored. And so that's what we're doing. And so I'm excited about that. But on the other hand, I don't want to leave this behind, <laughs> particularly when you're in a gospel account and you've been just absorbed in the life and ministry and the person of Jesus Christ for so long. It's, it's difficult to move on. Um, I think we've been thorough in our treatment of John's gospel, uh, but certainly not exhaustive. There is much more that could be said. We could start next Sunday, starting over in the gospel of John, and go the next 10 years through this gospel account, and, we'll, and we still wouldn't mine all the riches that are contained in this uh, gospel record for us. We, we won't. Don't worry. It's okay. Um, we could spend the rest of our lives studying Christ, couldn't we? And, and, and we would still, as title of this message, we would still have only scratched the surface of just the wonders and the glories of Jesus Christ. Um, we could, we, 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 we're, we're kind of like, uh, like a, a kid that gets little toy binoculars from McDonald's or something like that, and he's so excited that he has this great set of binoculars. And so he looks up at the night sky and looks up into that starry night, and, and his conclusion is, wow, now I've seen the universe. I mean, that's kind of how it is. We, we've, we've looked, and we, but we've been looking through sort of toy binoculars here. We've really only just begun to see the wonders of Jesus Christ. And the good news for us is if we are in Christ, we have the rest of eternity. We have all eternity to know more and more and more of Jesus Christ. And that, that we will never exhaust the riches of the infinite uh, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. And so, but this, this, is, this is the tension we live with. And we see this tension summed up well, as has already been alluded to, the, the impossibility of finite people fully grasping and saying everything that can be said about the infinite Christ. And so the John ends his, the gospel account ends in verse 25. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. 
And so this elder Apostle John, who's an old man as he writes this gospel account, probably in his 70s or 80s, this one who never could get over Christ's love for him, and this is how he refers to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not as a, not as a, a brag, not as saying, hey, he loved me more than he loved you guys. It was just he was, he, the, the thing that mattered most to John about his life was that Christ loved him. And so this man who spent most of his time right at Jesus' side, we find him leaning back on Jesus' breast, just listening to him and, and loving him. He writes this account in hopes that we, even we, some 2,000 years later, everybody who would read his testimony concerning Jesus Christ, he wants them, as we've been said, able to, to see Jesus Christ, to believe in him and to have life in his name. That's his passion. That's his drive. And so we've seen this, this uh, many times in the, the purpose statement there in John 20, verse 30 and 31. You can look back there with me again one more time. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now, one of the things that I've loved so much, and this is a, you know, this is, preachers love this kind of thing, when you have such simplicity and clarity of purpose in um, a, a book of the Bible like we have here, John has this very specific aim to provoke, to provoke faith in his readers, in us. And so, the, and the end of that faith is life. It's a, eternal life, and that has both quantitative aspects that unending nature of this life, and qualitative aspects. And they can't be separated. It's, it's more than deathlessness that John wants us to know. It's, it's to receive the life of God in Jesus Christ. And to be enveloped in that, to be drawn into that. And we've seen this so many times through our study in John's Gospel. And so these final verses are right in line with that stated purpose. And so this morning... What I want to do, I just want to walk through these last few verses of John, and then we're going to make some, I'm going to make some concluding statements that will kind of, where do we go from here, and how do we, how do we go on, and, and, and where, do we, where do we go on? So, context, remember, John 21, Jesus has sent his disciples back to where it all began, and they're in Galilee, and fishing in Galilee, and, and so the focus in John 21 has been Jesus' restoration of Peter, and, and so it's... Uh, do you love me, uh, uh, Peter? Well, then feed my sheep and follow me. And so this is what we've been walking through in this count. And then you get into verses 18 and 19, and Jesus gives this prophetic word to Peter about his old age and eventual death. And so he says to him, when you're old, you're not going to be touring national parks or playing golf in Florida. No, when you're old, you, you this restored shepherd of Christ's church, is going to be arrested, and he's going to be crucified. But it will all be to the glory of God. And so after dropping this on Peter, Jesus ends with these very simple words, Follow me. Follow me. Now, just a quick point of application. How, how do we glorify God in our deaths? Is that something you think about? I don't think that's a wrong Question And the way that we do that is by following Christ while we live. It's not about some grand moment at the end. It's about a life that's lived in faithfulness to the Lord. And that's, a, that's how God is glorified in 
even in our deaths. Well, it seems that Peter takes Jesus quite literally when he says, follow me, because Jesus seems to start walking away from the group. Peter goes with him. So he takes a few steps with Jesus. He looks over his shoulder, notices somebody that's kind of trailing behind them, and he notices it's his dear friend that's, that's following him, John. So verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, following them the one who had also leaned back on against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Now, it's certainly not surprising that John would be following close behind uh, Jesus and Peter. He often stayed, stayed right with these two. Very often, Peter and John are, are together, and, and they're together with Christ. These, are, these two men are intimate friends in this, this deep, bond has been formed over the three plus years they've spent together with Christ. And, 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 and they're very different from one another, but what they have in common is, is far surpasses whatever differences they have between two of them in terms of personality and background. And I just say, this: there's no greater way to grow a friendship than to spend years walking together with Christ and for Him to be at the center of it. And I think that's what you have with, with Peter and John, where one was, the other was also, and they were, and Christ was at the, at the center of it all. So, verse 21, when Peter saw him, saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Now, what is, what do you, what is Peter's attitude behind that question? Because you, you could read that question with a different tone of voice and kind of, Interpret it differently, I guess, and try to guess. Is he pouting? He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to be arrested and, and I'm going to be killed. John's not going to have an easier life, is he? Is that what he's saying? What about, what about this man? Is he going to have to do what I do? Or is he comparing? I'm going to glorify God by my death. I'll be faithful to the end. What about little John? What's he going to do? Is that what he's doing? Well, we don't know what's in Peter's heart. Um, but if I were guessing, I don't think either of those have, are, are, are right. Uh, being a close friend of John, I, I think Peter's deeply concerned for his friend's future. Was John going to die a martyr's death too? Was John going to have to walk the same path of suffering that, that Peter would? Would John be faithful to the end and glorify the Lord but but here's the deal. Even if it, this, there is commendable concern on Peter's half, behalf behind this question about John, even if it's proof that he really does care for his friend, Jesus, the, 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 the penetrating eyes of the Lord, they see right into Peter's heart and his mind. And, and that's what Jesus follows. He, he knows, Jesus knows a sudden turn in the conversation that he's having with Peter. It shows that, that Peter doesn't sufficiently understand and grasp what Jesus said when he, when he told him, follow me. He doesn't get it yet. And so verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. He's pressing into Peter's heart and into his mind that his curiosity about John's future, it, it's got to give way to the simple trust in Jesus and obedience to His command to, to follow Him. Peter, Peter must not be so concerned with the, 
the secret, the hidden will of God that, that uh, regarding John, that he fails to pay close attention to the very clearly revealed will of God for his life. Now, aren't we like this? We, we obsess and we worry about God's he, hidden secret counsel, what theologians call that, uh, that decretive will of God, what God has decreed from eternity past, and He's sovereign over all things, and He's accomplishing His purpose at all times. And so we, we, we obsess over questions like, what does the future hold? And why are these things happening? And why are others suffering more than I am? Or why are others at so much more ease than I am, and they're not suffering like me? And where will death strike next around me and my family where, what's the future of this nation? What's the future of our church? And so we, we, we worry and we fret about these questions of God's secret, hidden will. And yet we neglect to do God's revealed, preceptive will. Those precepts that the Lord has given us. This is how you need to live. This is, these are the things that I've called you to do that please me. And we neglect that and we obsess over those secret things of God. Now, it's not wrong to be appropriately concerned about making right decisions and about the potential consequences of the decisions we make and, and of the future of, of, of uh, what's in store, what God has in store for our lives or for others' lives. It's not, it's not wrong. There's an appropriate kind of concern for, for those things, but it's pointless to worry excessively about those things. And it's wrong. We can't know God's hidden will, so we, we shouldn't obsess over that. We, gotta, we have to focus on what we know to be pleasing to the Lord. What He's made plain to us. We trust Him today and obey Him today. We, we, we have done what He requires of us. It's that simple. And so you remember the simplicity of Jesus' restoration of Peter in this chapter. Here's, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do, Peter. Love me. Care for my people. Follow me. That's his clearly revealed will. Peter's question, what about John? He's asking about the hidden will. Jesus, don't worry about John, Peter. You follow me. You worry about my revealed will for you. Again, there's nothing wrong with being concerned for others. Jesus isn't saying to Peter, stop caring about John. Only care about yourself. That's not what he's saying. This isn't mind your own business, you know, you do you, I'm a do me kind of thing. That's not what he's talking about here. He isn't trying to, to kind of get rid of concern and care for other people. He's taking the reins of concern for God's hidden will out of Peter's hands. Because we can't, we don't need to know God's secret will. But we do know there's work to be done. There are souls that need to be reached. There are nations that need to hear. There are sheep that need to be fed and cared for and protected. There are disciples that need to be made and taught all the things that Christ has commanded us. There is work to be done, and that's where our focus must remain. But our attention is so easily diverted. And that's not new. This isn't just a modern problem. It's not just a millennial thing that we are easily distracted. This is, this is true in John's day. You look in verse 23. So, so this is what Jesus says to Peter, and then rumors start spreading. So the saying spread, among, spread abroad widely among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, that John wasn't going to die. 
before Christ returned. So there was all kinds of speculation that, that started happening that Jesus would come back before John dies. So Christians and churches are distracted from doing the work that, that Christ had called them to do. Make disciples, shepherd his people, and they're waiting idly for Christ's return. And they're writing 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 88. <laughs> uh, and, and so they're, they're guessing God's secret will. They're neglecting God's revealed will. So this is, this is spreading among the brothers, among the brotherhood. Yet, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but he simply said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? you miss the point. They, they misinterpret Jesus' words with reference to John, and they put the emphasis on the wrong thing where Jesus didn't, didn't put it. In Jesus' statement to Peter, again, the main thing is, is the positive command, follow me. Everything else is, is a correction to Peter, but it's secondary. He's calling, his calling to follow Jesus was the most important issue. Now, some have argued that uh, verse 23, the, the wording here, it, it, it shows that this was clearly written after the Apostle John died. And I know there's questions about the authorship, not generally of the whole gospel, but of parts and including this, that maybe this last chapter was written by somebody else. I don't think that's the case. And honestly, I don't think it makes any sense if that is the case. Because after John dies, why is it necessary to clear up this rumor? (laughs) It doesn't really make sense. The error would have fixed itself. If you've got a dead body of John laid in the ground and buried, it kind of fixes the question about whether Christ is going to return or if John's not going to die. But, but I think with John still alive, he knows this rumor is circulating and all this speculation and it's, and it's affecting the church and they're being idle. And so he puts it to rest so believers can, can put the emphasis where it belongs and it's on Jesus, following Jesus, trusting Jesus. And then the last couple verses here, verse 24. This is the disciple, John, who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, while we're talking about authorship, this gets a little interesting. He says, we know that these things are true. This testimony is true. Who is this we? (laughs) We we know that John's testimony is true. Some think this is an editorial we, like John is speaking in the first-person plural or, or something like that, and these two verses are written by himself. Others, including myself, think this is these last two verses, they form this endorsement by others. That there, there's an endorsement on John's gospel account, his eyewitness testimony concerning this testimony of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so this, this is their, their kind of stamp of endorsement. The, the we isn't identified by name. Most likely, I think it's probably the elders at the church of Ephesus where John was serving and living as he wrote this gospel account. But it's certainly someone who's known him for a long time. They've lived with him day to day. They've, they've, they've heard the story from him and from others many times. They, they've, they're familiar with the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they, they've read them and they know the story of Jesus Christ. They've experienced personally the, the testimony, the Holy Spirit in their lives, con- confirming the truthfulness of this testimony of John. And so, so th- I think this is the we, and they're, they're giving their stamp of endorsement on this gospel account. And then there's this wonderful conclusion. Verse 25, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, 
I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Wow. Now, you know, some consider this last verse, and I don't mean in a, in a mocking way, but to be hyperbole. That this is, this is an overstatement for literary effect. I mean, you, is it really true that the whole world couldn't contain the books that could be written of everything that Jesus did? They couldn't be recorded. But I don't think that's an exaggeration. I don't think this is mere rhetoric. Uh, I, think, I think this shows us the, what we've been seeing throughout John's Gospel, this infinite Christ, the Son of God. This is, this is the compelling burden that John had when he began writing. I want you to, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he wants us to see that Jesus is not just a man, but he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, so, there, so he's saying there's, there's, there, 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 clearly there are many, many facts concerning Jesus' time on earth that have been recorded in this book. And we've been studying them for two years. And every single one of them has served to encourage and to strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ and confidence in him alone and his all-sufficiency. But we can't begin to think that the story is complete now that the book is finished. We've only scratched the surface. And so what, what they're saying here is all the scribes in the world couldn't possibly record the full significance of everything that Jesus did. It's not possible. Even, even if they could list and describe the facts and record the events and what was going on and what was said and and even if they recorded all of that, that's not, there's not enough room in the universe to explain and describe the full significance of every word and every deed that Jesus did. And He still is doing. He's eternal. I don't think the, I don't think the, wor- I don't think the world could contain the volumes that could be written upon the cross. I mean, you have the infinite realities that are at work there. How can you possibly record infinite love, infinite wrath, infinite justice and mercy and all that's at play in that moment when those three hours of darkness, just in the three hours of darkness, you think the world could contain all that could be said about that? Again, it's it's like the little kid looking up in the the, the toy binoculars and thinking we've seen it all and we've just not. We've just had enough to tease us to know him more. We've seen a lot about Jesus, and it's very impressive, but again, we're only scratching the surface. And so, with that said, I I want, in the few minutes we have remaining, and we're going to come and we're going to worship at the table and remember Christ together and give our attention to Him. I, I I want to end where we began this study of John's Gospel. There there are a few ways, and I mentioned them along the way, and I, I did at the beginning, of ways I've been praying for you, been praying for my own heart, my own life, as we've been going through this study. And, and now I, I want to express those as hopes for you and me as we go on from here. And so this is just a few, it's three statements as we, as we conclude here. First thing I want to say is this, is I hope that your passion for the name of Jesus Christ continues to increase. That your passion for the name of Christ continues to increase. I hope that you have a greater hunger and thirst for Jesus than you did two years ago when we began this study. And I pray that it only grows exponentially 
from here. I want you to have a growing, insatiable hunger, unquenchable thirst for Christ. And I want us to do that together. I want us to all grow in this. I hope you've tasted Jesus through our time in John's Gospel and, that, and, and I hope that you'll continue to feast upon the bread of life and be filled and satisfied in Him. Jesus' invitation stands. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so may that, that river Jesus put inside of you at conversion, may it continue to, to spring up into you as living water for your soul. How I continue to pray. This is what I hope for for us. That I, I, you look at your life and you say, you know, I, I'm not impressive. I, I feel that. There's nothing in my life that's really Instagram worthy. Maybe you feel that way. Um, and, and you especially compared to others. And they're probably right. But I don't think most of the stuff other people think is Instagram worthy is really Instagram worthy either. Um, but you know, I'm, there's a lot that I may not do, I may not accomplish, but I can have a growing passion for Jesus Christ. Anybody can. Uh, you, you know, there's no limitations on who can know this. It's not a status thing, but this can characterize my life, a, a love for Christ and, and a, a passion for His name. It's not experienced and seen just by loud professions and, and, and applause and, and anything like that. That's not the point. It's not putting clever quotes and, and being really unique and novel. No, but it's, it's just this willingness, to, as Luther said, to let goods and kindred go, even my own life, because Christ is enough. I can, I can know that. I'm not saying I do fully. But I can grow in that. That can characterize me. And I, I want to I say that's enough. As we used, we used to sing, Jesus is, we can just say Jesus is better. He's better than everything. And so I want that to continually grow in it, characterizing you and me. And as a church, we, we may not have everything going for us. There are, there are a lot of churches, and good, solid churches. It's not a, not a criticism or a, a poke, but there are churches that are bigger, and they have better preachers, and they have nicer facilities, and slicker programs, and, and more people in your age group, and kind of situation in life. And, and there is nothing wrong with those things. Praise God for them. But we, as, assembly, as an assembly of saints... We can be sprinting. Our hearts can be sprinting towards Christ. And we can grow. And we can dig and scratch every week to know Christ. Uh, there's a lot of things we may not ever, the Lord may not allow us to do. That's in God's secret, hidden will. But we can love Jesus and we can care for one another. And we can follow Him together, brothers and sisters. And leave the rest to the Lord. So let's, together, let's increasingly be hungry for Him. Not let our appetites be so easily satisfied for a little church and then really feast upon other things than Jesus. And we, and as we have greater passion for Jesus' name, that will affect how we go out from here, won't it? The, the, the greatest apologetic will be our lives, not because of the things that we're so doggedly against and we make sure everybody knows it, but because of who we love. That will speak a lot. Secondly, 
I hope that your faith in Jesus continues to deepen. Your faith, your confidence in Christ. John's aim has been clearly seen throughout this account. He wants people to believe in Jesus, that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and so those without Christ need to believe in him for eternal life. And so maybe you've been here throughout this whole study, and yet you're still without Christ. You haven't put your faith in him alone. You're trusting in something else, or you're just still kind of watching from the outside and casually interested, but you, you, you've not yet trusted him. You're still separated from God because of your sin. You're in darkness. You're, you're without hope, as Scripture says, without God in this world. There, there's just this missing. And, and I pray that you now, having seen these signs and having heard this good news, that you'll believe in your heart that Christ is your Savior. And you'll trust Him today. Amen. But, and, and I pray that as we work through this book, our zeal in proclaiming this message as brothers and sisters in Christ will, will only grow proclaiming this message to those who don't know Jesus, that Christ will be on our lips every time we leave this room and, and we're, we're just ready to tell others about Christ, to leverage our lives for His mission, both locally in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, and with those we come in contact with here, and, and for the nations. What a, what a great place to be finishing as we go into our missions conference, that, that there, we ought to be fueled, brothers and sisters. If John has had any impact on us, we ought to be fueled to go into this, this mission season, and, and we ought to be just ready to step on it. To go, to go to the nations, to support that work of going cross-culturally with the gospel of Christ to those unreached and underreached places of, around this globe. And so, so again, one obvious application is just be here. All the stuff that we're doing, take it all in. You, there, there ought not to be a missionary who's standing off in the corner by himself wondering what to do. No, we ought to be just, there ought to be a line around them. We, we're, we're talking, we're praying, we're asking questions, we're encouraging them and hearing from them. But there's another aspect to believing. For those who are in Christ, we, we've said this, we need, to, we need to believe more in Him. We, the, the faith is not something that just operates a conversion. It is something that justifying faith, it saves. It's something that happens once and we're justified forever. But, but the, the Christian life is growing. It's walking and walking by faith. That's all. Paul describes it. Faith isn't static. It's to be growing, maturing. We've got to be deepening in our dependence upon Jesus Christ and in, in our trust, trusting Him more and more, relying upon Him more and more. And so I hope that your confidence in Christ is greater today than it was when we began John, our study of John. And, and I hope that we'll continue to grow because our, uh, the, our faith in Christ affects every aspect of life. It's how we think, it's our attitudes, it's our desires, it's our words, it's our response to suffering. Everything is impacted by this. How, how deeply are we depending upon Jesus? May, may our confidence in Christ grow. Third and finally, is I hope you will continue experiencing more and more of Jesus' abundant life. I hope you will continue experiencing more and more of Jesus' abundant life. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, full. He doesn't want us to live half-hearted lives. He came to give us abundant life, to give us joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Uh, there's an illustration. We, our small group is, walking, is going through uh, 
Paul Tripp's and Tim Lane's study, How People Change, and I told them uh, when I heard this Wednesday night, I was like, all right, you're going to hear that again on Sunday. And so uh, I, it fits very well. But he was talking about you, some, some kids, parents, you can appreciate this, some kids just don't get gifts. And so you, you as a parent, you can shop for your kid and you can think you've got the best gift in the world for this kid. You know who they are. You know their interests. You know their likes. You've picked out the perfect gift. And you, you give them this gift and they rip it open and then five minutes later they're playing with the box. Like the gift doesn't even exist. And, and so it, it can drive parents crazy. I mean, just Christmas shopping is going to be here soon. And there's always, I guess somebody gets together and conspires behind doors and says, this is the hot gift this year, and so this is what we're all going to put in the, on the, in the newspaper and everything. So whatever that is. And so you, you're so proud of yourself when you find that, find that toy or that new thing or new tech device. And parents, you know you're more excited about this than your kid will ever possibly be uh, about, giving the, about receiving this. And the kid, the kid, kid opens the, the box and rips it open and says, oh, that's neat, and then he plays with the box. But that's the exact experience of many believers. By God's grace, you've been given this most awesome gift that anybody could ever give or receive. It's a gift of stunning beauty and it's so expansive and it's so comprehensive and it's so powerful. You can't, you can't even begin to wrap human words around this gift. And it's the best of gifts. It's the gift of eternal, abundant life in Christ. Because of what he's accomplished through his death and resurrection. And yet many believers are, were quite content to just kind of play with the box. A little church attendance. A little involvement in some, you know, Christian service and some ministry activity. A little devotion. A little, little knowledge of the Bible. But you aren't holding this gift in both hands and saying, I am never letting go of this. I'm going to get everything I could possibly get out of this gift that you've given me, Lord. And this is what this is what this is why again I think when John comes to the end or when this when this gospel ends, it's, it's this infinity of of who Jesus is and all that can be said of him. I, I think John he's saying there's this gift of life in Christ. Get, just get hold of it by faith. I want you to see there's so much more than your than, than what, you're, what you're seeing. And don't just play with the box. Open it up. And you're not celebrating. You're not holding on to this awesome gift that is life in Christ. And brothers and sisters, I just pray. I pray that you and our church family together, we won't be content to play with the box. But we, will be, we will be experiencing more and more of this abundant life of Jesus Christ together. I know it's been a long time since we were there, but if you remember back in John 6, in John 6, we're about a year away from the crucifixion of Jesus, the, the crowds of followers, they're beginning to kind of pick up on what's going on here. There's a lot of excitement at first, and yet they see Jesus' path headed for destruction and sacrifice and death. They don't want any part of that, so most of Jesus', those that were kind of tagging along, they, they packed up and they went home. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, 
whom, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, what we know from Peter's life and how it ended, this wasn't like the confession that he, he didn't fully understand the extent of these words. And do you and I? We, we were here at times and maybe on a Sunday morning and then we leave from here and you say, you know, I know some other places to go. I can go to distraction. I can go to my device. I can go to entertainment. I can go to, I can go to pursuing some relationship. I can go to my job. I can go to my reputation. I can go to my, my education. I can go to my 401k. I've got lots of places to go. I've got a list on my smartphone just telling me all the places that I can go if I feel like Jesus is letting me down. And if it's not on my phone, it's certainly in my heart. But we need this Peter-like desperation. Where else, where else can we go? The words of eternal life. And, and we, need to, we need to trash the list. And we need to cling to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the table, and as we celebrate at the table, remembering Jesus together, Father, what a, what a fitting way for us to... to to, to, to hear from you and to see Jesus and to, to, see our, to have our faith and confidence in Christ strengthened and to, so that we might know more of this abundant life that you offer, Lord. So as we eat, as we drink, as we taste these things, and even as we sing before, that, that, that you would use all of these senses that you've, been, you've given us, God, to, to press in to, to, to know Christ. So, Lord, if there's apathy, if there's just kind of dullness in life, uh, uh, the, the answer is not to just kind of pick up ourselves by our bootstraps and get our act together. But it's, it's, to, it's to fall on our faces and say, help, Lord, help. And you meet us, God. We don't have to butter you up to hear us when we pray if we've, if we've been if our hearts have been chasing after other things, if we're going, if, if, if we have all kinds of other places we go other than you, help us to confess that to you, Lord. Know that you pardon us, God, even before we come to the table, God. If there are idols that we're clinging to and hiding in our pockets and, and keeping up on the shelf of our hearts, God, places we're going other than Jesus, depending on other than Jesus, God, help us to relinquish those, God. Confess those to you and, and just revel in your grace of pardon as we come and as we eat and drink and celebrate together.